Well, good morning, everybody. It is, it is really good to be here, and I know, uh, I mean, obviously it's okay if you wear your mask or not, but one thing, it was just such a privilege and a blessing to hear the voices singing again. It's just so good. So I just thank you for singing today. It was just such a blessing for me as, um, you know, I was, I was paying attention and, and, and worshiping as well, but just, yeah, it was really great to hear everybody's voices. Um, but for anybody who, who doesn't know me, my name is David Drover, and I'm an intern here at Mount Lone Mission um, and at the church, and well... I'm really excited to be back in the pulpit again to, to preach from 1 John. I'm really excited about this passage, the truth that's here that we're going to talk about. But I'll admit to you all that it's a little bittersweet. It's a little bittersweet because even though I'm so excited about this and, and, and ready to go, it's the last passage in 1 John. It's, it's, it's the end. It's the, the last bit. So I don't know about you, but I, I, I've had such a great, great journey preaching through this book, learning about the different truths that John have, have just repeatedly told us and so faithfully told us, and I've been so encouraged and challenged, and I hope that you have as well, because let's face it, John, he can be pretty blunt about the truth, but he's, he's faithfully written this to, co- to convey the truth, to point us to Christ, and as we've, we've learned, there's a common theme of assurance that runs all throughout this book, the assurance that we have in Jesus, and this passage that we're going to look at today, it continues on with that exact same theme. John, he concludes this letter by telling us why he's written it, and again, by pointing us to the truth. And the truth that he's pointing us to here today is that everybody who believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. For those of you who have been around for Pastor Steve's sermons, you've likely heard this chapter in these verses many, many times from John chapter 20, the, the purpose statement of John's gospel, that these are the signs that are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, well, in our passage where it starts at 1 John 5, 13, that's kind of like the, the equivalent purpose statement for this letter, okay? So for the churches that he's writing to, he wants them to know that they already have life in Jesus. He wants them to be assured that they really are Christians and that Jesus, he is the only way to eternal life. See, these, these Christians that John would have written to, they would have been influenced by all sorts of lies. They were likely told that there was something out there that they needed that wasn't Jesus, that they were missing something. And well, that's not far off from where we're at today. There's lots of voices around us that tell us that we don't need Jesus. When it comes to heaven and, and, and eternal life or life after this one, a lot of people believe that, well, you know, as long as you're a pretty good person, you'll get there, you'll make it. Just, just don't be a complete jerk for most of your life. Others will say, you know, there's no need to really even think about it because this is the only life that we have. So why not just live it for you and and enjoy it? And why bother with all this religious stuff? Just go and enjoy your life where we are offered all kinds of different lies that we don't need Jesus. But the truth, the truth is that he's all that we need in our lives. He's not just unimportant for our life. He's not even just important for our life. He is essential for our life. He is the giver of our life. So brothers and sisters, we need to know this. We need to be sure about this. So like John in verse 13, our main point is that we would know the truth. The main point, the sermon in a sentence today is this. Okay, church, know that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Church, know that we have eternal life 
in Jesus Christ. And as we continue to, to break down this passage and walk our way through it, we're going to see part of what that life looks like, what it means to have this life. So our three points that we're going to go through as we continue to go through the text are this. So point number one, eternal, Christ, eternal life in Christ means having confidence in prayer. Okay, so that's verses 14 to 17, that eternal life in Christ means having confidence in prayer. Then number two is that eternal life in Christ means being protected by Christ. That's verses 18 and 19. Eternal life in Christ means being protected by Christ. And then lastly, number three, that eternal life in Christ means knowing the true God. That's verses 20 and 21. That eternal life in Christ means knowing the true God. So without further ado, let's, let's read out our passage today. Would you, if you have your Bible either on your phone or, or a physical copy there, would you open it up to 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. So starting in in verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's, That's the purpose statement. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everybody who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So again, the main point is that as believers in Jesus, we know that we have eternal life. And what that eternal life is, what it, what it centrally is, is a relationship. It's the relationship that we have with God. As Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, when somebody believes in the name of the Son of God, when they believe in Jesus, they enter into a relationship with him. And John, again, he talks about this back in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, when he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So through believing in him, we enter into this relationship with God where he is our father and we are his children. And realize too that this isn't only like some future thing. Knowing Jesus, the life that he gives us now, it's not just a future hope that we cling to. It starts now. It's eternal. The relationship that we have, it's with God. That relationship we have is true now and forever. And as we have this kind of relationship, that's, what John, that's why John writes what he does in verses 13, 14 and 17, that we can have confidence toward God. And this is the first point that we'll see about what it means to have eternal life 
in Christ. Eternal life means having confidence in prayer. John writes in verses 14 and 15. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, then we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. We can have confidence toward him, or in other words, we can, we can come before him. We can enter into his presence. And guys, don't just, don't float by that statement. Because this, this is an incredible truth, especially when you think about who it is that we're talking about, about how great God is. Just consider who it is that we come before. Okay, God, he's, he's the creator of all. He's the one whose glory fills all of the earth, the one who all of creation praises, the one who controls the wind and the waves, the one who is so powerful that he works every single molecule in the universe to go according to his will. He is the sovereign reigning king of the universe, the one who is perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly loving, and perfect in every possible conceivable way, the one true God. And yet John tells us that this is the same God that we can come before with confidence. You and me, we can come before God in confidence. And we can do this, we can enter into this presence with confidence because as believers, God's not only sovereign king, he's also father. It's our relationship with him that gives us the confidence to come before him. And the way that we come before God, the way we, we enter into his presence is through prayer. The confidence that we have is that if we pray for anything according to his will, we know that he hears us and gives us what we ask. And now, there, admittedly, there are a lot of ways that people will take verses like these in the Bible and they'll just completely misread them and misapply them. They might read this and think that it's saying that God's going to give me whatever I want. As long as I just pray confidently, I'll, I'll get what I want if I ask God for it. But the text says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, not our wills. This verse doesn't teach us that we can treat God like some kind of divine butler. Instead, these verses teach us that we can be confident that God hears us favorably and that he will answer our prayers as we come before him and pray according to his will. And this is really consistent with what Jesus taught in Matthew 6 when he teaches us how to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, as we pray, we should submit our wills to God's will. And Jesus, he didn't only teach this, he, he lived it out, he exampled it for us. Just listen to how he prays in Mark chapter 14 as he is leading up to his death. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, he himself submitted his will to the fathers as he prayed here, and so should we. And realize, guys, that this is, this is a good thing for us. This isn't some weird, bad, like I'm never going to get anything good sort of thing. This is actually far better than we think. This is great news. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says that we don't need to worry because our Father knows what we need. He knows what we need, and he also he loves us. That's what John has just spent so much time in chapter 4 showing us. So if God, A, knows what we need, and if God loves us, 
then submitting our own wills to the fathers is actually good for us because the truth is that he is going to take far better care of us and he's going to love us far better than we can. His will for us, it's actually better than our wills for us. And so when we submit, we're actually believing and trusting that God's ways are better and that's a joyful way to pray and live. And when we get this, this is how we start to live out what Adam preached last week. That believing and trusting in God is not a burdensome thing. It's not a burdensome, burdensome command for us. It's, instead, it's freeing. Instead, it's joy-filled. Instead, it's, it's reassuring. John Stott, he sums this up so well as he says that prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or bending his will to ours but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. Eternal life for us means that we have confidence coming before God in prayer. And then as John continues in verses 16 and 17, he gives us an example. He tells us what that, what that can look like, of how we can pray confidently. But in order to understand what he's saying here, I think we should probably dive into the, the big question that I'm sure many of you have, the elephant in the room. What is the sin that leads to death and what is the sin that does not lead to death? So we can summarize the idea here like this, and I'll, I'll say this a couple times because it's really important. Okay, so the sin that does not lead to death is the sin of a believer because the believer's sin has been dealt with in Jesus. Okay, so I'll say it again. The sin that does not lead to death is the sin of a believer because the believer's sin has been dealt with in Jesus. And then on the flip side of that, the sin that does lead to death is the sin of an unbeliever because his sin has not been dealt with in Jesus. As, as R.C. Sproul writes, there are only two ways that God's justice can be satisfied with respect to your sin. Either you satisfy it or Christ satisfies it. You can satisfy it by being banished from God's presence forever, or you can accept the satisfaction that Jesus Christ has made. All sin will be dealt with, and all sin will be paid for. It's either by you or by Jesus. As John says up in verse 12, whoever has Jesus has life, and whoever doesn't have him does not have life. And again, this is fully in line with what John has already written in chapters 1 and 2, as he writes that if we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and that when we sin, that Jesus is our advocate, and that he was the atoning sacrifice on the cross. So what John is telling us here in verse 16 is that if we see a brother or a sister, or that is a believer, who is committing sin, then we should pray for God to give them life, and he will. This is one way that we should pray in absolute confidence. We can be confident that he will answer our prayer to give life to our brothers and sisters in sin because we know that it's the Father's will to give life to those who believe in his Son. And to be clear, what what John promises, or when John promises that he's going to give, that God will give them life, he's not saying that the brother you're praying for or sister is, is instantly going to stop committing the sin. At our staff meetings on, on Tuesday mornings, we, we always pray. And one thing that we do at the beginning of the meeting is we go around the, the table and we just share prayer requests. And often the requests that we'll give are to help us deal with our sin. So for instance, one week I might ask for prayer to deal with my own pride and then somebody around the table will pray for that. And it's really, 
It's a beautiful thing, and it's, it's really great. I'm, I'm so glad that we do it, but I'll admit that I'm not totally pride-free. I can still struggle with it. See, what John is promising here is that God will give life. And we know that our life with God as his children is a life where we do not keep on sinning. That's what John says in verse 18. As believers, see, we we grow in righteousness. We grow to be more and more like Jesus, as John writes in in chapter 3, verse 2. One day we're we're going to see Jesus and we're going to be like him. One day we, we will be perfect. One day we will never sin again and our sin will be gone because we will mirror Christ's glory as as John writes in chapter 3 verse 2 beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears that we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is one day when Jesus comes back we will be like him and we will be completely sin free that's a guarantee so yes yes we can know that when we pray for our brothers and sisters in sin, that God will deliver them from it and give them life. So church, you know what that means? That means we should be a church that prays with confidence for one another. Let's be a church that when we see one of our brothers and sisters in sin, that why, let's pray for one another and pray that God will give them life. Though in order to actually live this out, we need to actually know one another. We need to actually be in each other's lives. How can I pray for you if I don't know what's going on in your life? Or if I don't know what sin you're struggling with? How can you pray for me if I'm not vulnerable enough to tell you with, about what's really going on in my life and my sin? Because Calvary, every single one of us here today wrestles with sin and every single one of us has mess in our lives we just do but will we be a church that believes the gospel enough to lay aside our pride and humbly confess our sin to one another and to god our church family shouldn't be the people that we come to put on our sunday best for and then pretend like we've got it all together Our church family should be the people that we can go to and rip off the masks that we put on and be honest about our mess and our sin. And our church family should be the ones who will always point us back to Jesus. We won't be a perfect church family, sure, but we can actually begin to live this way because of the gospel, because the eternal life that we all have but wasn't earned by us. Every single one of us is a sinner, and every single one of us is in equal need of Jesus. So we need to fight against both our pride and our judgment. None of us can boast in anything but him. So let's actually be open and honest with one another about how we're doing. Let's actually be open about how we struggle with sin in our marriages, about how we wrestle with sin in dealing with our kids, about how we struggle with, with getting angry and losing our temper, and how we struggle to trust and lean on God during the ups and downs of life. Let's be real. Let's be honest with one another. And then, church, let's actually pray for one another. Let's pray that God will give us life. We don't need another prayer gossip line. What we need is genuine, heartfelt, and loving prayer to our Father for our brothers and sisters to have life in Jesus.
And don't forget who we pray to. Don't forget that as we pray, we pray to the giver of life, that we pray with confidence to the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Eternal life means having confidence in prayer. And as John tells us what we should pray for, he also tells us what he doesn't recommend that we should pray for. Towards the end of verse 16, he says that there is sin that leads to death and that he doesn't recommend that we should pray for that. And now this is a verse that can feel very off. It can be very uncomfortable. But it's scripture, it's true, it's good, and therefore we need to figure out why it's here and we need to deal with it and figure out what it's saying. And if we pay close attention to the text itself, notice that he's not actually saying that it's wrong to pray for this. He's not condemning it. What he is saying is that he's not commanding it. He's not saying, he doesn't think that it's necessary. And he doesn't elaborate on this because it's not really his main point. In fact, he's saying this because he wants to be clear about who we should pray for with confidence. The focus here is on building up the church, praying for our brothers and sisters. His point here in these verses is that because we have a relationship with God, that we can come before him in confidence, trusting that if we pray according to his will, that he hears us and gives us whatever we ask. And one way that we should pray with this confidence is for our church. It's for our church family, our brothers and sisters, when they commit sin. All sin is wrongdoing, but it all doesn't lead to death. If we believe in Jesus, then we have eternal life and not eternal death. And so John continues in verses 18 and 19. He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And as I mentioned before, here we're reminded that that those who are born of God do not keep on sinning. Notice how John starts by saying, we know. And we know because he's already talked about it. He's he's talked about this a lot in chapter 3, where he says that as children of God, we practice righteousness. As children of God, we imitate our parents. Now, of course, we're not perfect, and well, I mean, we can, we can still sin. Obviously, John knew this himself because he just told us above to pray for one another when we commit sin. But as John has shown us throughout this letter, since we've been born again and have received life, that means that we are being transformed, that we are being changed to be more and more like Jesus. And one, one place where we see this in this letter is in chapter 4, verse 19, in this famous verse that we love because he first loved us. And John, he adds to this idea in this verse, in in verse 18, because not only are we changed and transformed by the love of God to be more like him, but we are also protected by God. And this is our second point, that eternal life means being protected by Christ. Eternal life means being protected by Christ. And the the language here can be a bit tricky, so I'm just going to quickly clarify who's who, who's being spoken about here. So when we see at the beginning of verse 18, when it says, everybody who has been born of God, that's John speaking of us as believers, as the church, okay? Then the second half of the sentence, when he says, he who was born of God, he's speaking of the Son of God, of Jesus. And then the evil one here is Satan or the devil. So ultimately, here's what he's saying, okay? He's saying that children of God are protected by Jesus from the devil, that children of God are protected by Jesus from 
the devil. So Calvary, John is saying that we, that we are protected by Jesus from the devil. The evil one cannot touch us. He cannot take us. He cannot have us because we belong to Jesus. Satan is prowling around like a, a lion seeking somebody to devour, as Peter writes in 1 Peter 5. And he might try and have us. He might want us. He might attack us. He might make us suffer. But he will never touch us. He will never take away the eternal life that we have in Jesus. For Jesus, the good shepherd, protects us. There's a reason that John declares that he's the, that Jesus, sorry, declares that he's the good shepherd in John chapter 10. And that we see God's people as being referred to as sheep. See, as sheep, we're, we're vulnerable. We're not very smart. We can't really do much on our own to help ourselves. We can't protect ourselves. There, there are predators around waiting, wanting to kill us. There are thieves that want to take us. But we are safe because we're not alone. We have the good shepherd. We know that Jesus, he's going to guide us. We know that he will protect us. We know that Jesus will care for us. We know that we can trust him to get us through the darkest of, val- of valleys. Calvary, know that we have eternal life in Jesus. And that means that we are protected by him. In this life that we have in Christ, it's not fragile. It's not breakable. It's not temporary. It is forever because he protects us. But this doesn't mean that life's always going to be easy. The truth is, is that we all will have times that we suffer. I probably don't need to convince you that, that life can get hard. Whether it's health problems, financial stress, persecution, loneliness, betrayal, or, or whatever else Satan might throw your way. We all face trials at some point in our lives. After all, as John writes in verse 19, the world lies in the power of the evil one. But we are children of God. We have him. We know Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who John writes in chapter 4 is greater than he who is in the world. And you want to know what that means? That means that we can endure. That means that we can have confidence That means that we can have hope because Jesus wins. The ultimate battle for eternal life and death, the ultimate problem of our sin, it's been dealt with in Jesus Christ. So no matter what you are facing today or this week, would you turn your focus to him? Would you trust him with your circumstances? Would you not be afraid but rest in that protection that he gives you? Would you follow him? Would you obey him? See, in him we have everything. For he is the true God. And this is point three. That eternal life means knowing the true God. Just look at verses 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So notice again how he starts with, and we know. He wants to give them assurance of what they know and what they have. And what, what we know is that Jesus has given us 
understanding so that we can know him who is true. Or in other words, he has given us understanding so that we can know the real God. And this understanding that Jesus has given us is that he is the source of true knowledge about God. If you really want to know the true God, then, then know and look to Jesus. See, Jesus came, he, he came to reveal the Father to us. Just look at how John starts his gospel in chapter 1, verse 16 and 18. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. It is grace and truth that came through Jesus, and he is the one who reveals the Father. And if this is true, which it is, then this is a big, big deal. Because that means that not all paths lead to knowing God. There's only one path to knowing God. There's only one way to know the true God, and that is through Jesus Christ. So when there are other voices out there saying that there are other ways to live and other ways to know God, John here wants the church to be sure, to be firm, and to know the truth. That it's not through being a good person that we can know God. It's only through believing in Jesus Christ. And as Karen Job said, the topic of the knowledge of God and its source is of primary concern to John. The Son of God entered history in human form to reveal who God is, truth that would otherwise remain unseen and unknown. That revelation of God in Christ is the source of true knowledge about God, which cannot be acquired from any other source. The importance of true knowledge about God is seen in Jesus' statement in John 17, 3, which directly relates knowledge of God with eternal life. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life means that we know the true God. And this knowledge and relationship that we have with God, it's not a distant one. It's not distant. John tells us that we are in the Father, that we are in his Son, Jesus Christ. And like the rest of the passage, is totally consistent with John's letter and his gospel. Pastor Steve has been recently preaching, just started preaching through John chapter 15. And Jesus in that chapter, he tells his disciples that he is the vine and that they are the branches. He tells them that they can do nothing apart from him. And that if they want to bear fruit, then they must abide in him. We are in Christ. We are the branches. He is the vine. He sustains us and gives us life. For he is the true God and eternal life. And if you're ever looking for a statement in the Bible that's clear, that's saying Jesus is God, look to this one right here in verse 20. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. And so John finishes his letter with what he does. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And this, at first, it might seem a little weird. It might seem like an odd way to end off the letter because John hasn't really talked about idols up to this point. But when we consider that declaration that he's just made, that Jesus is the true God just before, it's, it's really the perfect ending. He instructs them and he instructs us to keep ourselves from idols. He's, he's saying, don't worship false gods. Don't worship idols, but worship Jesus. He is the true God. As Dodd says, the worship of any God substitute is idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of any God substitute. And well, 
What is worship? Well, worship, is, as Harold Best says, worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I ever can become in light of a chosen or choosing God. And I'll, I'll say that again. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, of all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen or choosing God. See, as people, we are worshipers. We are constantly pouring ourselves out into something. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. You're pouring yourself out into something. The question is, what are you worshiping? And if you have a hard time thinking about that and answering that, then try asking yourself, what, what do you spend all your time doing? What do you spend all your time thinking about? What holds the most affection in your heart? Is it the true God? Or is it a false one? Is it your job? Is it church? Is it money? Is it family? A sport or or form of entertainment? Or your phone? I mean, what do you do when you first wake up? What are you thinking about? Do you do you go and open up your phone and check social media or open up your Bible? What are you worshiping? What are you pouring yourself into? Because here's the truth. These Christians that John is writing to deal with the same kind of heart issues that we do. They would have had to deal with people in the world around them offering them all sorts of things trying to promise life and and goodness and joy and fulfillment that aren't Jesus. They had idols and false gods all around them and even though all of them would eventually turn up short, they too would be tempted to put their trust and place their affections in something that's not Jesus. And so are we. Every single day, our world is holding up potential idols for us to worship. Perhaps it's that number of followers or likes on social media or that favorite TV show or video game that just keeps drawing you back in. It could be the stuff that we have, that, that long-awaited barbecue, that brand new PlayStation 5, that that beautiful new necklace or that, that pretty pair of shoes. We can also idolize other people, our relationships, our careers, security, comfort, school, acceptance, and the list could just go on and on. And guys, this isn't to say that, you know, it's not a bad thing to enjoy a barbecue. It's not bad to value relationships. Those are good things. We should be able to enjoy them as they are blessings in our lives. But it becomes sin when we begin to love them more than the one who gave them to us. It becomes sin when we love it more than the true God. So Calvary, guard yourselves from idols. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus and worship Jesus, he is the true God, and know that he is the only one that gives you life. Remember the purpose of why John is writing, so that as believers that we may know that we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. When we see all of the false gods that our world offers, we can know with 100% certainty that we know the one true God, and he has given us life. And also go and remember what that life looks like. 
that in this life that we pray with confidence, that in this life that we are protected by the, from the evil one. In this life, we know the true God. So let me close now with, with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. As he said that everyone who believes in the name of the Son of God has eternal life. We may not doubt this. It is not a matter of inference and deduction, but a matter of revelation from God. We are not to form an opinion about it, but to believe it. For the Lord has said it. It is right for a child of God to know that God is his father and never to have a question in his heart as to his sonship. It is right for a soul that is married to Christ to know the sweet love of the bridegroom and never to permit a cloud of suspicion to come between himself and the full enjoyment of Christ's love. So church, there we have it. As sons and daughters of God, we will for all of eternity be in his loving care. In this relationship that we have with God, we have everything, everything that we will ever need because we know and have him. Through believing in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Let this truth move us to live for him. And let this truth move us to live in worship of him. Let's pray. Father God, it is, Lord, such a privilege, Lord, and um, Lord, encouragement to be able to be here and open up your word. Lord, and to hear from what you have inspired John to write, Lord, this truth that we have eternal life. So Lord, as we Go and live this week. I just pray that we would be all able to turn our gaze and focus upon you, that no matter what we would face this week, that we would live knowing the truth, that there's nothing that will take us out of your grasp. The truth that you will hold us fast, the truth that we are your children. And Lord, let us just focus and worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.